Hello and welcome to Still Buffering, a cross-generational guide to the culture that made us. I am Riley Smurl. I'm Sydney McRoy. And I'm Taylor Smurl. I just had some string cheese. Hmm. You know what's weird? Tasty. It doesn't feel like... I had to replace my string cheese because we had a power outage over the weekend. And so I got new string cheese. But I feel like sh- string cheese seems like so close to not food, it shouldn't have to be replaced. You know? I thought... Does cheese go bad, or does cheese just get better? I assumed all dairy had to be replaced. Yeah, but I feel like cheese is something that, like, (laughs) just gets to be more expensive cheese. It's like wine. What about when it gets green? That's, uh, that's when it's growing its little coat that it's going to sit inside Mm -hmm. of and get extra good. Mm. That's too far, right? I don't know. I mean, mold is an important part of cheese. Yeah, but the right molds, right? (laughs) Well. You got to talk to our dad about that because he left the milk in the fridge when we had a power outage and our power was out for mm, 24 24 hours. hours, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, He left the milk in there and then did continue to drink it. No, 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 no. Now you've got yogurt. He said probiotics. No, no. That's You don't want... That's the thing with with a lot of these products, especially dairy. You don't want to like heat them up and cool them back down. Like you're just this is good. This is what bacteria love. That's the temperature danger zone. (laughs) I know that. I've got my food handler's license. (laughs) Yeah, no, that food was definitely in the danger zone for quite a while. Um, Temperature (laughs) danger zone. It's interesting we care about it so much now when our family would get pizza with cheese and meat on it and stick it in the oven overnight, like the oven turned off in the box overnight mm-hmm. to then eat the next day. We didn't cool it down. We did just stick it in a warm environment. That was a bad job, though. For many years. <laughs> that was a bad job. I feel like I still, I mean, d- despite having been educated to the contrary, I still have this thought of like, the delivery food is not food food. It can sit out <laughs> and I can eat it the next day. And that's fine. Yeah. And I don't I know that's not right. I know that's not no. right. But <laughs> no, I agree with that. We get pizza at our shows. They would order pizzas to sell at the top like slices of and then anything left over after intermission they would bring back to the actors to eat at the end of the night, which means the gates open at six thirty, which means the pizza got there at about six thirty and they'd bring it back to us at about mm, ten o'clock. And then we would take one home with us every night to eat cold, which usually wasn't until 1130. So that was five hours that the pizza had been just sitting there that we'd then eat when we got home and then just leave sitting out and eat again the next day that's, for about a week straight. It's a, it's a slightly rested pizza is what that is. Yeah. It depends. I mean, you could probably build some kind of case when you've got something with like tomato sauce, which is inherently acidic. And then you've got it open air, so you're not going to worry so much about, like, botulism. I don't know. Like, you could maybe make a case that it would be more difficult to grow bacteria on such a medium. I don't want to say it's impossible. And certainly mold could grow, but obviously that takes a while. Well, okay. Uh, do Do you keep your ketchup in or out of the fridge? In. In. Right. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> well, no, no, no. So there I, we go. I do too, but I have encountered people that do not because they use that argument. Well, tomatoes are acidic, and I'm like, yes, but 
and this is from my experience in food service. It's like I, you know, I work behind a bar, so I'll make like simple syrups. That's just sugar and water. And you're like, that's stable forever. Nope, that'll grow mold. Anything can grow mold. Dare mold yeah. to grow somewhere at an ambient temperature, and it will grow. Is what I've learned. Yeah, no, that that is very true. I, I ketchup, I will accept ketchup and mustard both. I mean, I do not believe they need to be refrigerated because I've been to many a restaurant where they're just there on the table. Um, I guess that's true. So I, I assume that. that's fine. I prefer cold ketchup and mustard. I prefer the way that feels goes with. Like a warm French fry. <laughs> I don't Yeah. I just like that better. Just a nice cold shot of ketchup with that nice hot fry. <laughs> I, I, I prefer that that combo. Um, it's too warm ketchup or mustard, so I will always keep them in my refrigerator. Especially when I make my pickle and turkey wrap with mustard. I like it to be cold. We're not going to talk about that, whatever no. that is. It's the sweet, spicy pickles, and you put that on a tortilla with turkey and mustard. It's perfect. It's really good. (sighs) Anyway, my string cheese was not as good as that, but fine. I do like string cheese. Yeah, I bought it it for the children, but I eat it all. I feel like string cheese is, of all the things we've discussed, I feel like that is probably shelf-stable. The fact that yeah. you had it in the fridge and then you felt you had to toss it. I don't know about that. But I don't I don't know. It's it's harder when you have children for those kinds of things cuz like prior to having kids, I played fast and loose with those rules all the time, you know? Mm. I I was very much like a it smells okay, it tastes okay, it is okay kind of person. But you can't mess around with tummy bugs and little kids. Yeah, but you got to make sure they get that healthy gut flora, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> From eating partially rotten food. Although I you do know. have a kid that I think goes by the philosophy, does it smell good, does it taste good, then it is good. I don't think Cooper would care if you gave her mm-hmm. something that looked a little bit bad if it if she thought it tasted fine. No, Cooper came walking in the kitchen the other day and she was eating edamame. And I said, what, what do you got? And she was like, I got beans and she had like emptied them out of the shell and was holding like a handful. And she was, what she wanted to do was perform the scene from into the woods. There's another bean. Here's another bean. And that's what she was doing. Tossing the beans around the room. But, um, but she was also eating them. Mm. And I said, where did you get that? And she said, from my room. Natch. And I, I said, well, but we haven't had edamame in a bit. So, when, where, how? They've just been in her room for an a period of time that is unclear to me. We do order edamame periodically, but it's that ambient beans. I assume that's fine. I mean, Charlie's always got a full snack drawer in her room and a full snack backpack. She pulled out a full, like full to the brim, Ziploc bag of Cheez Its today. Out of nowhere. I was just sitting on the couch like, hmm, I'm kind of snacky. And before I could even look up to look for a snack in the house, she just set a full bag of Cheez-Its on my lap. <laughs> so 
like, where did you get I have this? To, I have to go through their rooms periodically and clean out all the food they're hiding in there. You would think we don't feed them constantly. <laughs> like that, like that. There is a drawer in the kitchen that is specifically their drawer. It's at their level. That's at their level that they are allowed to grab a snack from when they're hungry. So like we have free reign for multiple snacks in the house. There is no need to hide them in their room. They're missing some of that danger. Some of that, yeah, you just you just wanna you wanna have your own your own snackies, your own your own private bean stash. <laughs> Somewhere in Cooper's room there's a pile of edamame shells. Yeah. If, if she had the beans, the shells are just somewhere. <laughs> There's another bean. <laughs> it does sound very Cooper. I want to recreate that. Oh, the witch is her it's favorite. She wanted to be like the witch. It makes sense. That makes sense. Um, I don't have a... Uh, um, well, no, there is ob- there's an obvious... Ch- Come on, y'all. Talking about the witch. Oh. Meryl Streep oh. played the witch in Duh. the movie Into the Woods. And you know what else Meryl Streep was in? Mamma Mia. Yes, that's not the point. <laughs> I mean, Meryl Streep was in a lot of movies. It's Meryl Streep. Mamma Mia 2. Here we go again. All right. <laughs> was she in that one? Very briefly. She was dead. That's but what she I, sang in it. <laughs> that's why I didn't see it, because I thought she died. She is. Yeah. Yes. Not in real life. No, I know. I meant the character. <laughs> Any movie where the premise is Meryl Streep is not here anymore is like automatically negative 50 points in my book. Yeah. Right. And I feel like that they tried to like, I understand Cher was in it. And so I can see what you're trying to do there. You're like, I, yes, we did take away Meryl Streep, but we added Cher. Not until the end. Oh, but see. And I don't, I'm sorry. I love Cher, but you can't. I will not trade you a Cher for uh, Meryl Streep for a Cher. Yeah. I need a world where they both exist. That's that's yes, my concept. Yes, we need both. Yes. She's also in Death Becomes Her. <laughs> yeah, that's the movie we're actually talking about. We're not we're not talking about Mamma Mia or Mamma Mia 2. Here we go again. Um So, I don't know why I was always so obsessed with this movie growing up. Uh, Taylor, I feel like we watched it a lot. Yes, uh which is interesting in retrospect cuz I don't know I mean, I don't think it's inappropriate necessarily for young people, but it's weird that it was like a, a, a popular movie when we were young for us to watch a lot mm-hmm. often. Like, did we have the VHS? I feel like we had a VHS of this. I am positive that we did. Because this was not like a we rented it and watched it and moved on. Mm-hmm. No. Like, we wa- I know we watched it more than once. Well, I mean, I know why I liked it. I'm surprised that you felt the same way about it. I was I was kind of fascinated by it. So it came out in 1992, I should say. So I was I was nine, <laughs> which is weird. That that this is getting weirder. I was what six seven. <laughs> you were six or seven when this movie came out. I think this explains a lot, honestly. Uh. I mean, I don't know that we saw it the year it came out, but like certainly not that long after. Um, I was, I was fascinated by. Okay, so the general plot <laughs> is that there's a potion that will make you young and beautiful and immortal, except immortal in the sense that like you can kill your body, I guess, but not your soul. <laughs> yeah, like any damage to your body is you're damaged but if you if you if you keep yourself safe then you're you're good for forever yes yeah 
Like, you keep on living even if, like... Your body could not be living. Yeah. On any other Well, because their bodies die. Yeah. Like, their hearts stop beating. Not when they not, take the potion. It's only after they f- physically die. Yes. Right, right. Yeah, because, wh- well, when she goes to the doctor and they say that she's dead. Yes. So, like, the morgue, you, like, you, oh, you're your dead. body can die, but you're, you, you're, the you can't, I don't know. This is getting more spiritual than I thought it would. <laughs> it, it's, it's just, it's, it's like, it's like a basic rules of zombie, I guess. Yeah, you'll continue to animate your body, even if the damage is fatal. And like, you're, you can decay. Yeah. Ew. Which is part of, I think, the fascination I had with this movie is it was this sort of, like, they were beautiful but decaying, and it was kind of grotesque and lovely, and there were, I don't know why that all spoke to me as a child. <laughs> <laughs> I don't either. Like, their spray-painted flesh rips off. I don't know what to make of that. <laughs> I I get why you liked this, Tay. Why did I like this? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, yeah, I, I it's... Well, but I, I don't know. It's I don't think at that age we were quite at the place of contemplating mortality, so I don't think that angle was necessarily what appealed. Uh, but I do think, in hindsight, there's something about specifically about femininity in this movie that I feel like is really confrontational and fun. Mm-hmm. Like you know, I think what what's expected of a woman and then how like their beauty butts up so hard against like like something so morbid and dark and and decaying like i i I love that i mean i love that in in art when i encounter that like you know i don't know the the general storyline is pretty it's pretty basic it's like a love triangle set within this sort of magical immortal element where Bruce Willis, who's incredibly not Bruce Willis-y. Mm-hmm. I, I have to quest like that casting, like, oh, we need like a little nerdy doctor dude, but we can get Bruce Willis. Can we just make Bruce <laughs> Willis look like a little nerdy doctor dude? Sure, yeah, that's that's fine. That'll work. Does it, does it make you wonder if it was like a moment where Bruce Willis was like, maybe I could get these roles too. Maybe I should show I have this other side of me. And everybody was like, you're still Bruce Willis. <laughs> Never again, Bruce. Uh, but like Goldie Hawn's with Bruce Willis and she's like, I don't know. What's the word? What's the, what's the horrible word we would use to describe her appearance? Dowdy probably mm-hmm. is what mm-hmm. that, that's probably what it says in the script, right? A- academic. <laughs> academic. Yeah. Stuffy. <laughs> um, and he, he leaves her for Meryl Streep, who's like a performer and very attractive. Although they're both very attractive. Let's be real. But Whatever, and so for re- basically revenge, Goldie Hawn steals him back after she becomes magically beautiful and hot with this potion that will also give her immortal life, and she's going to steal him back and murder Meryl Streep, but then Meryl Streep also takes the potion, and they end up killing each other, sort of, their bodies. But again, they can't die. So now they're just these, like, zombie women. And they want to keep Bruce Willis around because he's this genius plastic surgeon turned mortician. Reconstructive mortician. Is that what he called himself? Mm-hmm. Something like that? Yeah. And uh, and so he's perfect for their needs. He can keep them spray painted and adjusted and 
whatever tinkered forever. <laughs> uh, and so they want to make him immortal too, but he doesn't want to be, and he ends up getting away, and they're stuck with each other forever, more or less. I don't know. That, is that a pretty good plot summary? Yeah. It's about friendship, really. <laughs> <laughs> really, at the end of the day. Um, you know, I remember mom showing me this movie when I probably was no older than 11 or 12. And the scene that really, really stuck with me was right towards the beginning. Um, with, uh, what, Meryl Streep sitting on the couch eating Cool Whip. Is that what she's eating? Or is it Goldie Hawn? Goldie Hawn. Goldie Hawn. And it's mm-hmm. icing. Yeah. Icing, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, that has stuck with me for over a decade now. Just mm-hmm. that image. I don't know why. I don't know if it was maybe my special effects knowledge in 2012 when I was watching this for the first time. Like, it was very deeply upsetting to me because I was like, why would they make her look like that without the understanding that, that it was 1992? Um, the special effects, the, the makeup and all that stuff. But there's a, I don't know. There's a... There's a lot. This is a movie made from the 90s. And so there's a lot of like problematic stuff. Yeah. When they're commenting on like beauty standards and how the two main characters desire to look um, and like what society thinks of them when they don't look that way. So like initially Goldie Hawn is is so I mean, she's supposed to look really smart Mm -hmm. and sort of nerdy and she's not dressed like, I don't know. Sexy. Sexy. Yeah. And... And by contrast, I will say Meryl Streep, it, her character is called cheap multiple mm-hmm. times. Mm-hmm. So she's not good either. Like, it's not okay to be either. Right. <laughs> that is made clear. And then when Goldie Hawn loses Bruce Willis, like, she's supposed to go through sort of this depression is, I guess, ostensibly what we're supposed to assume. And at that time, she gains weight. And so then there's, like, a lot of fat shaming that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, that's part of what... That is one thing. So she is briefly in a psychiatric hospital. Yeah. Where she is berated for worse. berated for her mental illness and for not losing weight. The the, the presentation of the therapist is is wild. Like yes. it's very bad psychiatric hospital. Like she makes a comment like it's been six months and you're not over this. Like and I'm thinking like three years into therapy like six months excuse me (laughs) what i was supposed to have made progress by then (laughs) we were not on a first name basis at six months okay yeah that's i know it is wild that the therapist is yelling at her for not being better and then literally yells at her for not losing weight she says that you haven't lost a pound and it's like what what where was was there did they not consult anybody (laughs) Like, surely this isn't what a therapist says. No. Well, and that's because I feel like the the movie casts a very, like, aware eye on how unfair expectations are for women uh, in in terms Mm -hmm. of beauty standards. But the the characters never really awaken to that fact. Like, and I think that's their sort of curse, right? Like, they just have to eternally live chasing this ideal of what they're supposed to look like for what? Because they only have each other. It's kind of sad, but it is self-aware. Yeah. Yeah, I I think part of what fascinated me the most about it when we first, when I first watched it is the, like, the scene with Isabella Rossellini, who is, like, the keeper of the magic potion. And, by the way, I do think it's odd that they're, like, 
you're so she's she looks beautiful and she looks young and then she has a big reveal where she tells you how old she is Mm -hmm. and like she could be any age because it gives you immortality Mm -hmm. i thought it was odd that they went with 71 i agree which is not an impressive not like they could she could have said 210 (laughs) I thought that was an odd scene. Sydney wanted more wind <laughs> Yes. Well, I mean, like, she, like she's immortal. Yeah. Well, although I guess the only thing you could say is obviously you see what happens to Goldie Hawn and Meryl Streep after being immortal for a very short period of time and what happens to their bodies. And then what, by the end of it, it's like 37 years later or something like mm-hmm. that when they're literally falling apart. Um, maybe they didn't want her to be too old because her body would then be falling apart. Well, Very weird rules of immortality. What? Well, but that was only because they didn't take care of themselves, right? Well, yeah. I think it's like if you let yourself physically die, then the some sort of death process starts, even though you still inhabit your corpse. Yeah. So if you don't... So you're like a zombie. Yeah. And I mean, maybe it's just a game of like of odds. Like if you've lived forever... At some point, you would probably encounter some sort of cataclysmic injury that right. would lead to your death. Right. So maybe maybe that's a good age for immortality, still looking good in the mid seventies. But she's but she's like hanging around with all those like muscly bodyguards <laughs> and some dogs that look angry. What is the the decision on the the bodyguards? Like, why are they dressed as wrestlers? <laughs> the bodyguards are dressed very strange. Bruce Willis demanded it. <laughs> There's something about 80s, or I guess this is 90s, like, but that like era, what opulence looked like, that is so weird to me. I and I, probably what opulence looks like now will look the same way, but you know, like, like the horrible like salmon pink and like slate mm-hmm. bed sheets and stuff, like when you're mm-hmm. in the the fancy uh, house. I don't know. Yeah, the the carpeting everywhere and like scalloped edges on all the furniture. Like, <laughs> there's a room in our grandparents' house that is very much that. True, yeah, that's true. Yes, <laughs> opulence from the 80s and yes. 90s. Yeah, um, I want to talk more about. Maybe I'll figure out why it is this movie stuck with me so much. But before we do that, let's check the group message. So I've had a real busy couple of weeks and got a real busy more couple of weeks coming up. Um, I'm moving. I'm packing. I just finished up a show, but I'm still in the middle of you know having shows for the show I directed. Lots going on. Also, it's summer, so I'm kind of lazy just in general. Um, all this to say, I don't really ever feel like cooking for myself. Uh, and that becomes an issue when it comes time to eat food and I don't feel like cooking for myself. But that's why I always go to DoorDash and let them take care of my food for me. Um, it is the app that brings you food that you're craving right now, right to your door. You just open up the DoorDash app, you choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with their contactless delivery drop-off setting. Uh, they even have lots of your favorite local restaurants, so I know sometimes I'll be craving food from one of our local places that maybe doesn't do delivery on their own, but they're right there on DoorDash. Get some of my favorite food from there. It's delivered to my door super fast. Right out there, contactless delivery. Super fast, super simple. Uh, and gets me the food food I want without me having to do do most of the work 
So, Tay, if our listeners want to check out DoorDash, what should they do? Well, right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more and zero delivery fees for the first month when you download the DoorDash app and enter code BUFFERING. That's $5 off your first order and zero delivery fees for a month when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code BUFFERING. Don't forget, that's code BUFFERING for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. And uh, if you're still hungry... Maybe you want something that's a, a breakfast or a treat or a midnight snack, an anytime food that will make you feel good and full and will be yummy. And I'm talking about Magic Spoon. Magic Spoon has changed the cereal game because it's all the flavor that you're looking for, all the crunch that you need in a good bowl of cereal, but it's got zero grams of sugar and 13 to 14 grams of protein per serving. So it's a it's a full meal and it cuts back on your sugar. So it's just what you need when you're looking for a treat that uh, is also is also something that'll get you going, especially in the morning. It's uh, keto friendly. It's gluten free. It's grain free. It's soy free. Um, so if you have specific dietary needs, it can meet those for you. And they have all kinds of flavors. And I've got the flavors uh, helpfully classified here if you're looking for like if you, what what sort of flavors there's classics like cocoa fruity frosted or peanut butter there are the cult faves like blueberry muffin maple waffle and honey nut and there's indulgent ones like cookies and cream or cinnamon roll which would be a perfect dessert and you can build your own box if you want to stuff like cocoa and peanut butter mixed together because we know that's a great mix so uh tay if our listeners want to check out magic spoon what should they do well, they should go to magicspoon.com slash buffering to grab a custom bundle of cereal and try the magic for yourself. And be sure to use our promo code buffering at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. That's magicspoon.com slash buffering and use the code buffering to save $5 off. Um, so uh, part of... Part of it, I think, was just simply like this idea of this magical group of zombie humans who are all forever young and beautiful and have like secret get together parties. Maybe that was part of it. (laughs) Like this, like Mm -hmm. movie stars that we thought were dead and stuff and musical artists and they're all just secretly somewhere. I think I just love watching it now as an adult. I definitely was not thinking this when I was younger, but I love that there are two women that are, I mean, it is female friendship, a lot of it, which is hard to find in a lot of movies from the 90s. That's about two women. And yes, many of their interactions involve Bruce Willis, but not necessarily like fighting over him in a romantic way after a certain point. Um, But also the fact that neither of them are necessarily like good people. Like, they're both kind of bad people in some situations. And there's still, like, these two women that are complex, kind of bad, kind of good, obviously under the pressure of societal expectations of beauty for women. And they're the two, like, tellers of this story, I think is is really cool. Just because you don't get a lot of stories like that, I guess. Like, it's very clear that they're not the bad guys. It is the society that has set these expectations that made them feel they need to be this way and look a certain way and do sure. these things to themselves. Well, but the, I don't. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Oh, that's right. Go ahead. I was going to say, but I don't think they learn any lessons, though, I will say. That's fair. That's fair. 
I do think that the the most point. I mean, if it's a meant to be kind of a dark comedy, but I do think there's some poignancy in the scene where they apologize to each other. You know, where like mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. they. One recognizes that she's always tried to steal the other's man because she made her feel less than, you know, cheap. Like, they kind of apologize for their mutual cruelty to each other and commit to being mm-hmm. there for each other for good. I think that's kind of, like, I think, I do think it's a movie about friendship. On I say that kind of jokingly, but I, I think it's honest. Yeah. Like, I think that that's yeah. the relationship that's really, this movie is about. The, Bruce Willis's character really doesn't matter. Like they they use him as a tool, as a, a sort of uh, chess piece, but mm-hmm. you know that's it. It's about. I also just I love that it's it's uh, what Madeline and and Helen, but they call mm-hmm. each other Mad and Hell. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like like that, this is the couple. This is about Mad and Hell. It is. It is very much about them. And I mean, even Bruce Willis's character, his job is to i mean primarily i mean he can operate on anybody but like the way that he is sort of introduced is that his job is to keep women looking a way that we want women to Mm -hmm. look that not him necessarily because he's the surgeon he's just doing what you know whatever but like as a representation of society he his whole thing is keeping women look the way we like them to look Mm mm-hmm um, I was reading about this movie some in the reception and the general crowd audience it has now. Uh, and Tay, I wanted to ask you, because I didn't know this, I was reading about how it's become very popular in like the drag community. Oh, yeah. Uh, and that Jinx Monsoon and Ben De La Creme did a show at one point that was both of them doing Drag Becomes Her, where they were hell and mad. Uh, mm-hmm. And that Jinx Monsoon attributes this movie for like starting their... their passion for drag hmm oh i love that I yeah mean, i feel like that makes a lot of sense i i don't know I, I can't i feel like we encounter a lot of things in pop culture that we we understand oh this is this is queer somehow but we don't yeah. it's not in the narrative and it doesn't need to be it's not it's not a storyline that that it's just it's somehow out of what is the norm and so it gets embraced by the queer community. And I do think that, that this movie does that. Because I was even thinking, like, you know, the, the kind of uh, irony of at his funeral, at the, it ends with, you know, his, Bruce Willis's character's funeral, that he's lived this long, illustrious life. And they say, like, oh, life begins at 50 for this man. When mm-hmm. for so many women, it's like, your life is over at 50. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if you keep on living. You can't be beautiful anymore. And that, that it's this very hard like point that this movie is making about like what what's expected of women and like the horrible things women will do to themselves in order to be beautiful like i think it is a, it's an outside of a heteronormative viewpoint it's not buying into the beauty standard it's not it's not making it look glamorous and lovely it's making it look hideous and gross and weird and that's what drag can do drag can do many mm-hmm. things but that's also just outside of heteronormativity what you do (laughs) like yeah i mean it's very anti-stereotypical male gaze of what two beautiful female stars would be in a movie yeah Mm -hmm. um because i i read that it had become very popular like a sort of a cult classic in recent years well recent years i mean like in the in the 2000s among the lgbtq plus community i was thinking like i mean 
I don't know if there's, I, I wouldn't have guessed there was necessarily any sort of romantic insinuation in any way between the two main female characters. So not in that way, but I agree with you that in the sense that it's just like this out of that heteronormative world of movies, but not queer in the sense where like there's queer characters, but also in the way that it's trying to say something against everything that is expected out of like heteronormative society and relationships and typical men and women and beauty standards and all that. Um, I do agree with that. Yeah. That was very interesting. I just, I wouldn't have expected that to be the crowd, but the more I think about it, the more it makes sense. Oh, I, I yeah. Well, and I think just even like the insinuation that the most important relationship in your life isn't, isn't a normal looking romantic relationship. It's mm-hmm. the person that kind of holds you together. And for whatever reason that that's what these two women are for themselves. I think that that you don't need a queer narrative. It's a, it's a queer idea in the extent that it's not heteronormative. Yes. Neither of them end up with a man, and they both end up literally falling apart together and helping each other well, out. And I kind of love their relationship, you know, when they're yeah. bickering in the back of the church. I feel like that's what, you know, that's what we're all looking for. We're not looking yeah. for the thing that's great when you're both beautiful and young. You're, you're looking for the person that sits next to you while your, your, your face is falling off and is like, mm-hmm. well, whatever, you know. <laughs> There's a card. <laughs> That's true. I mean, because they do a good job of avoiding, like, Bruce Willis's character wants to escape them mm-hmm. eventually. And even though they are beautiful, he wants to get away from them. And you're supposed to kind of believe, like, they've ruined his life in some sense. But they do a good job of not making him seem too sympathetic. Because the truth is, he was with Goldie Hawn and he left her because Meryl Streep at that moment was presented as the more beautiful one. Mm-hmm. And then he was going to leave Meryl Streep because even though she was still beautiful, she was getting older and Goldie Hawn looked younger. Mm-hmm. So he's going to leave her for the one who looks younger and hotter now. And the entire time, his entire his whole job is to make women look young and beautiful. And he's not a sympathetic character. He is well, the one who, like, he gets to go on and have this life, but, like, he's not the good guy. Mm-hmm. No, and I mean, look, at the, the fact is, is he's the one that pushes Meryl Streep down the stairs. Yes. Like, it, the the thing that launches all the action is him murdering her. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, she's not, she was not being nice to him, but at the same time, I don't think that justifies that he, he murdered her. No. And he was plotting to murder her anyway. Yeah. I mean, well, that was, he, he had yeah. a whole plan. I mean, so, like, it wasn't even like, I mean, it was premeditated in a sense. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, and it, it was maybe inspired by Goldie Hawn's plot line, but still, like, her whole reason for doing that was because this person she cares about hurt her so much. This person that cares, that she cares about so much that hurt her isn't him. It's, Mm-mm. it's Meryl Streep's character. Yeah. That's the, the, the relationship emotional relationship. Was, yes. Yeah. It was always between the two of them. Yeah, I agree. Because I don't think there is any, like, let's say that the movie, that they had succeeded in killing Meryl Streep, would they have run off together? Heck no. Goldie Hawn wanted nothing to do with him. <laughs> yeah. She just wanted revenge. Yeah. I would love to see this movie done again. Not a reboot. Like, don't, <laughs> like, not the same exact story, but very similar set in modern times. I would love to see that. I saw that they, were, they said in 2017 they were making a musical and Kristen Chenoweth was going to be oh. starring in it. They didn't say as which one, but as one of them. She'd but be great. Then nothing ever happened <laughs> after oh, that. Would that would be amazing, though. I know. I would love a musical of this. 
Oh, I know. Oh, can you imagine? You could include any any famous person. Yeah. Like from any time in like the big scene with all the with the party with all mm-hmm. the immortal people. Oh, you there's so there's so many cool things you could do with that. It's kind of Beetlejuice-esque in well, a way. It's funny because when you said the musical, I was like, well, I mean, Beetlejuice worked great as a musical. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Work. yeah. It, just in the way that like there is death and you have to confront mortality and there's kind of some gruesome stuff, but none of it is ever in a way that's like actually upsetting or scary or anything like that. It's mm-hmm. all kind of like silly and dark humor and that kind of stuff. Um, it has some obviously very different story than Beetlejuice, but similar, similar vibes. That's true. There is that. I don't know. I like that. I don't that that era of '90s movies that was like kind of comical and cozy with death in a really disturbing way, uh-huh. but also a mm-hmm. really fantastical way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's part of it because usually stuff with a lot of death I find upsetting, but that I mean that it's treated so. Um, it's so ridiculous. ridiculous it's so yes. huge. I mean, the way that they get killed is not, <laughs> it's not subtle. No. Like her, her head's twisted around back. Meryl Streep's head's twisted around backwards. Goldie Hawn has a giant hole through the middle of her. Yeah. <laughs> Other than neck things still sort of hurts me to watch. I think it's so funny talk, reading about how this was lauded as having like some of the best visual effects and special effects of the time. And it won like a, what won an Oscar for best visual effects or something like that the year that it came out. I was surprised though by how well that they do hold up. I mean, I think that there's some you know when especially with Meryl Streep and her heads on backwards, you can tell that is the most like digitally difficult yeah. scene that they're doing. But it, it holds up. I you know yeah. You know, I also in the context of the movie, there's nothing about it that's supposed to be hyper realistic or like serious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you don't need it doesn't take you out of it mm-hmm. because the special effects seem old. It, it if anything it just kind of adds to the level of ridiculousness. Mhm. Yeah. Well, like the perfectly symmetrical. No, I, I don't think it, I don't think it's <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't find it distracting. And I always I I remember being sort of fascinated by all that. And like the um the moment that Meryl Streep takes the serum, like when she first like stabs her in the finger and it changes her hand, I, like all of that mm-hmm. imagery still sticks with me. I always look for those things whenever I watch movies for for the show specifically, just because I always like to think of what things like that would have looked like through a 1992 uh, vision and then now like what what was high tech then and, and what is now I always think that's interesting to look at and also just fun because you couldn't have sort of the ridiculousness of those moments now because it would be about you know making it look hyper realistic and, and all that stuff I, I do think it's it's better with the the silliness I'm not a spe- I go on like this like I really care deeply about special effects or visual effects or something. <laughs> I think they're cool. It's not like something I have a deep passion for. <laughs> well, it was a big part of why I think this movie d- like hit with people were those why effects. Why those images stick with you. Yeah, yeah. And I think it was also because you had two actresses who were like incredibly famous and beautiful and talented and were kind of being gross and silly and like it was very physical Mm -hmm. you know that and that is not what you would expect from them necessarily 
It's like comedic body horror. Yeah. It is. Yeah. I like it. Which, again, you wouldn't. Yes, certainly people did that, but not usually very attractive women. Mm Mm-mm. So, which is the other part of it, like, at the end of the day, like, Goldie Hawn and Meryl Streep, before the serum, after the serum, they're still, like... Very beautiful. They're hotties. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, Sid, have you figured out yet why you think this, this movie <laughs> meant so much to you? Because <laughs> I just keep hanging on to those images of Big Hole and Goldie Hawn's stomach and uh, the icing and... I'm going to at least offer, because you mentioned that that, op- that scene with, uh, it's Isabella Rossellini, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, where she's just, she's not wearing, she's wearing a shirt made out of this jewels. Yes. I know you, you seem to be mystified as to why that scene was so striking for you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I hate to inform you of this. <laughs> it uh, That scene, like, I, I could have recreated that scene completely from memory. I think a lot of people saw that scene and went, oh, this movie means a lot to me. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't think there's any deep reason why. I have no idea. <laughs> I was fascinated by the uh, the angry dogs guarding the sure, potion. yeah, yeah. Um. Well, I appreciate you all watching Death Becomes Her again, because I, I really do. I don't know. I, li- I like the movie. I didn't show it to the girls. I didn't feel like they were ready for that. I think Cooper would love it. Yes. But Cooper is currently trying to devise how to take Charlie out of the running for the baby kangaroo. So maybe don't put, put any ideas in her head. Yeah, Gosh, that's true. Don't let her know that pushing someone down the stairs is a thing. Yeah, because there are quite a few like murderous to. plots in this. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. No, we'll, we won't show them this one quite yet. We'll I wait can till see her trying little. to figure out how to get a hole in her stomach like that. How do I? How do I get the hole in my stomach? We and would walk have around to, with it. We'd have to watch that scene. Well, and when when Meryl Streep shoots her and she falls back into the fountain mm-hmm. and there's blood all over the place, we'd have to watch that scene like thirty times, just like the one from Twilight. That she loves to I watch. I want to watch the scene where the baby bites the boob. It's covered in blood. The baby's covered in blood. Oh. She's oh. <laughs> always asked me, was I covered in blood when I was born? She mm. wants the answer to be yes. I know. Like, no. Um, this is fun. <laughs> well, thank you for reintroducing this movie to me. I, I had not seen it in a very long time. I don't know why our mom showed this to me when I was much younger, but I do know for a fact that she definitely did. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, thank you all for watching it. Yeah. What is next, hey? Uh, well, I want to I want to sort of talk about the the the, the body of work of uh, an animator that I really love, uh, Don Hertzfeld. Uh, you know, I think like rejected and um, like. Maybe it's such a beautiful day, World of Tomorrow. He's, he's got. A, they're, they're all shorts. They're animated shorts. So hopefully we can watch a couple of them and, and talk about them because it's some of my favorite stuff in existence. Okay, sounds good. Sounds good. We'll check that out. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you all. Thank you, listeners. You should go to maximumfun.org and check out lots of great podcasts you would enjoy. You can tweet at us at stillbuff. You can email us at stillbuffering at maximumfun.org. And thank you to the novellas for our theme song, Baby Change Your Mind. This has been your cross-generational guide to the culture that made us. I'm Riley Smurl. I'm Sydney McRoy. And I'm Taylor Smurl. I am still buffering. And, and I, I am too. Yeah, I definitely can't.
Natasha Cooper's movie. <laughs> Wait until she's at least. How old were you? How old was I? You got a year or two. Six? A year or two. Yeah, I got a year yeah. or two. I she'd like better the blooding or the moment when Meryl Streep's boobs kind of pop up. Mm. Oh, she'd love that. She loves boobs. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, I'm a stuffy dowager countess. Travis? I'm judging everybody's manners. Oh, no. Schmanners isn't judgy. It's about teaching you to be your best self and be a little more confident when you enter social situations that you don't understand. And maybe also teach you a little bit about history you didn't know or give you interesting things to talk about at parties. Yeah, like the secret life of Emily Post. Or like why wristwatches are the way that they are. We can talk about table manners from the Victorian era. Sure, or what it's like to attend a Regency Ball. Yeah. Uh, you can find all that and more if you listen to Schmanners on Maximum Fun or wherever your podcasts come from, I guess. Manners, Schmanners. Get it? MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.